Welcome to our final message in our series, My True Selfie. We've been looking together at what God's Word says about our identity in Christ. And before we jump into today's message, three quick things I want to share with you. The first is a word of celebration. Uh, Last Sunday at our baptism, we had exactly 40 people who professed faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, we rejoice in that. It was a wonderful day. Uh, We want to celebrate it. And uh, we'll be putting together a video uh, real soon for you to to remember some of those uh, moments. I also want you to know just three weeks from today will be our next baptism. If you have not yet taken that step, we want to give you the opportunity. Second thing that I want to tell you about is this. We need your help uh, as we make plans for next year and our transition into our new auditorium. Uh, We're going to begin this new season in our church's life by moving from three to two Sunday morning services because we're going to have more room. And uh, we would like your input as we determine our schedule. You have this uh, form in your program, and it is uh, called New Worship Time Options. And uh, there's two options. We want you to choose one box or the other uh, to, uh, to, to be your primary place that you're probably going to go experience worship in the future. Uh, By the way, this is not like a lifetime commitment or contract that you're signing. You're just taking your best shot now. And once you check a box, we want you to circle the time uh, to the right, one of the two times that you're most likely to prefer. Uh, Down below that, you'll see that we're considering an option for a third service uh, that would be either Sunday night or Monday night. And if you're unable uh, to attend a morning service, which alternative would you prefer? Uh, you can fill these out now. Uh, we'd like you to put your name down. Uh, we need those so we can make reference to different things. And we also need to know the ages of the kids who will come. This will help us plan our overall ministry. Uh, we're going to collect those uh, at the end of the service, and you'll get further instructions. Third uh, thing I want to mention to you is next week we're launching a brand new message series through the book of Joshua. It is called Fearless facing our future. And for the rest of this fall, we're going to be studying the story of Joshua and the nation of Israel as they move into that promised land that God um, has given them, uh, taking possession of what God says he's already made theirs. And, And Southwinds is also moving into a new season of mission. We believe that Joshua is going to teach us uh, some important truths as we are stepping into the future uh, that God has for us. If you're someone who likes to get ahead, you can be reading Joshua chapter 1. That's what we're going to be covering next week. Well, so far in our My True Selfie series, we have been looking at uh, very encouraging aspects of our identity in Christ. Things like we are God's children, God's precious sons and daughters. Things like we are saints, holy, set apart as God's very own possession, God's own people, that that we are free. We're no longer slaves uh, to the guilt and power of sin. And all of these things are just incredible privileges that that we should be rejoicing in. Amen? Amen? But as someone once said, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And so today we're going to examine Uh, the responsibility side of our identity in Christ. We're going to be taking a look at a part of who we are in Christ that is challenging, that is often difficult for us. And and I think we often want to see this aspect as something something separate from us, maybe as something we do. Uh, Oftentimes it's something that, you know, certain other people do, not us. But it's far, far more than that. It is actually who we are in Christ what we're going to be talking about is the truest thing about me. And there are two words we're going to look at this morning. Those words are aliens and ambassadors. And I want you to see how these two words go together. If we don't see them together, we're going to have a difficult time living them out because they are both essential elements of our identity in Christ. I want you just to say, I am an alien in Christ. Would you say that this morning? I am an alien in Christ. And now I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking an awful lot like an alien this morning. Go ahead, do that. Well, what does this mean? Well, Webster defines alien as someone belonging or owing allegiance to another country or government, someone coming 
from another world. And to be an alien in Christ means simply the world is not my home. I don't belong here. My true home, just like my true identity, is with God in Christ. Now, I'd like you to say, I am Christ's ambassador. I am Christ's ambassador. Webster defines an ambassador as a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government as the resident representative of his or her own government appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. See, to be Christ's ambassador means that I come from another kingdom, God's kingdom, into this world. And in this world, I have an assignment. And I carry out that assignment with authority given me by the king and by the kingdom that I represent. I am an ambassador for Christ. Let me show you where we see these things in God's word. I want us together, as we've been doing each week, uh, to read our theme verses uh, from 1 Peter 2 out loud. Uh, one more time, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. And join me as we read. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So how do we live out who we are, our identity? Well, we live as aliens and strangers in this world, Peter says. This world is not our home. We don't actually belong here because our identity is in Christ in the God who chose us, who set us apart as a people belonging to him. It is not in these systems and the values of this world. But that does not mean that we withdraw and we hide and we separate ourselves from everything in this world because we are not only aliens. The Bible also says we are ambassadors. We don't belong in this world, but we are sent to this world. I want you to see what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, we belong to another kingdom. This world is not our home. But while we are here, we have a job to do. We have a mission to carry out. We are Christ's ambassadors. And God has committed, Paul says, to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says it is as if God were making his appeal through us. You see, living out our identity means that we are a people who are imploring other people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is who we are. And if we are not living this way, if we are not living as aliens and ambassadors, we are not living out the truest thing about us. We are not being the new creations that God created us to be. God's sons and daughters made holy in Christ, set free from sin. As that, we are always called to live as both aliens and ambassadors. This has actually been there in what we've been reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, both of these elements. Go back and look at that again. God chose us. God made us his priests. God set us apart. He did this to make us his very own possession. We belong to him. Why? Well, it says, Peter writes, 
in order that we may declare his praises. That's why. That's why God made us his people. That's why God has shown us mercy. We are aliens and ambassadors. Now, how do we live in God's wonderful light? We've been seeing three things each week. The first is an identity truth, and this week it is this. In Christ, God has made us his ambassadors, bringing a message of reconciliation to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And again, this is who we are. As ambassadors, we represent Christ and his kingdom in the kingdoms of this world. We do that by bringing a message of reconciliation. So what is that message of reconciliation? And why do we need to implore people to be reconciled to God? Here's the clearest way I know to explain it. The Bible says that we were created by God to be in a close, intimate, personal family relationship with God. But the very first people, Adam and Eve, sinned. And sin broke the world. And sin broke us. And every person since has been born broken, born in sin, born with a sin nature. That is the Bible's clear teaching that our sins separate us from God. And the Bible says this separation is serious. The Bible says this separation is spiritual death. Because when you disconnect yourself from the giver of life, you die. There is no spiritual life apart from God. The Bible also says that God, in love, responded with mercy. God the Father sent God the Son, that's Jesus, to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus took all our sins. He paid the penalty we deserve. He took our punishment. He died in our place. See, God's heart is to reconcile sinners to himself. God's heart is reconciliation. If you look at verses 18 through 20, those three verses, you'll see five times that Paul speaks of reconciliation. Paul says God wants reconciliation so much that he not only provides the means of reconciliation, that's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he also makes a way to get the message of salvation out to the world. That's the gospel, second thing. And then he gives his people, that's us, the ministry of reconciliation. God wants to reconcile people to himself. And God's plan to reconcile sinners to himself involves God's people, that's us, being who we are, who he has made us to be as new creations in Christ. Again, verse 17. We're ambassadors. We live out our true identity when we are taking the message to this world. And it is a life and death message. God offers salvation as a gift, and we can accept that gift. And when we do, we we receive this close, intimate relationship with God. And this is, this is the only way. It is only, only through acceptance of what Christ did for us on the cross that we have hope for an eternity with God in heaven. And we don't say that because we are, think we know more than anyone else. We don't say this out of pride and arrogance. We say this because our King, Jesus, said it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, the Bible tells us that God created us to live forever, and we will live forever, every one of us, either in a relationship with God or not, either in heaven or hell. The Bible also says that heaven and hell are real places and real people will spend a real eternity in one place or the other. Their only hope is what we as Christ's ambassadors have been authorized and commissioned to tell them. Do you see how serious this is? We get a glimpse of how serious God takes this. He is so serious about this. In verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's think about that. God 
is so serious about reconciling separated sinners to his love that he allowed his holy, his pure son to become sin for us. On the cross, Jesus took everything that we deserve. And in that place, he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. He gave us the gift of his righteousness. You might say that God allowed Jesus to experience hell for us so that we could know heaven with him. See, this is why we tell others. Do you see it? Do you get it? Truth is, not everyone does. It's kind of ironic. Sometimes people who aren't Christ followers seem to grasp the seriousness of this better than some Christ followers. True story, in in July 1854, a famous criminal named Charlie Peace was executed by hanging in London. And it was a custom of that time that before his execution by hanging, an Anglican priest would perform a, a ceremony on his behalf. And this ceremony consisted of reading from the prayer book while the priest would walk behind the man who is condemned to death. This is what the priest read. Those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. And when those chilling words were read, Charlie Peace stopped and turned to the priest and he shouted at him, do you believe that? And the priest was taken aback and collected himself after a moment and said, well, um, I, I, I suppose I do. Then Charlie Peace said, well, I don't. But if I did, I'd get down on my hands and knees and I'd crawl all over England, even if it were paved over with pieces of broken glass, if I could just rescue one person from what you just told me. See, we have the message. Question is, are we living out our identity as ambassadors and taking it to the people who actually need to hear? Can I tell you who who we're talking about? Who we need to tell? Right now, those people are probably sitting at home watching a football game or surfing the internet on their iPad or having a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And going to church is the last thing on their minds. I mean, they may have a a little bit of a church background. Maybe their parents or maybe their grandparents went to church some, but most of them would not identify with any particular church group. Most of them would say they don't really have a belief. I mean, they don't really practice religion, but they also don't oppose it. If you ask them, they would probably say they don't think it matters all that much. To them, faith is about as relevant as when this year's almond crop is going to be harvested. I mean, it's just not on their radar. And if you press them, they would give the answer that most people today give. They would say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, which means I think I'm a good person. I mean, I'm not an atheist, but I'm, I'm not really sure I really believe anything specifically. And that means also that they don't believe anything specifically about Christ. And that also means that the separation is still there, which means that they're still in trouble. So what is going to enter their world? How are they going to hear? They don't listen to Christian radio or watch Christian TV They're not likely to see a bumper sticker that says Jesus loves you or maybe the cross on the hill on the other side of the Altima and then, you know, feel like pulling their car over to the side of the road and reorienting the entire trajectory of their life. The only likely way most of them will be reached is if someone who is in Christ, and that's you or me, becomes an ambassador lives out who they are. That is why Paul says this in Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, here's the question today for you. Will you live out your identity, who you are in Christ as an ambassador 
This is who you are. It is the truest thing about you. Second way that we can live in God's wonderful light. We've been seeing each week we need to fight identity theft. We can lose our identity in different ways. And today we see that we lose our identity as ambassadors when we forget who we are and why we're here. Who are we? Again, we are aliens who don't belong in this world. We are ambassadors who represent another kingdom. Why are we here? But God has authorized and God has commissioned us as ambassadors to share his message of reconciliation. So how do we forget this? Well, there's actually a number of ways. I want to focus this morning on just two. And the first is fear. Fear makes us forget. The number one reason Christ followers fail to share their faith is fear. We we fear people because we want to be accepted by them. We find ourselves wondering, well, what, uh, what will others think of me? I mean, what if they don't like me or my family? And some of us are paralyzed by the thought of being disliked or being laughed at. We're, we're afraid that we'll lose business or that we'll get passed up for that promotion. We ask, well, what if they stop inviting my kids to birthday parties? I mean, what if I talk to my neighbors and then it's all awkward between us for, you know, after that? Part of what needs to happen here is we need to accept that we are aliens, that we don't belong in this world. We need to understand and accept that we live in a culture that believes that truth is relative, that therefore there is no one right way to know God. Therefore, anyone can believe whatever they want to believe. Therefore, who do you think you are to try to tell me there's only one way? How arrogant can you get? We have to accept that we are aliens in this world, citizens of another kingdom. And we have to trust that this is a kingdom with a king who is truth himself, a king who says he is the only way to life. And we are sent on his behalf into this world as ambassadors. And we accept that people may not accept us, but that doesn't devastate us. Because we are accepted by the king and we trust him and we follow him and we obey him. Fear makes us forget. Apathy also can make us forget. The second reason that Christ followers fail to share their faith. And we just need to get honest with ourselves. Some of us just don't care that much about people who don't know God. I mean, we're never going to say that because, you know, we're in church. But our lives, our priorities just reveal that. We, we, we make no time in our busy schedules to interact with people who don't know Christ. We have long ago stopped praying for people who don't know Christ, you know, maybe in our neighborhoods, maybe in our workplaces. We don't have any non-Christian friends, and we're not even really trying to. Lost people are a low priority for us. And honestly, the reason... We don't have them on our hearts is that our hearts are already filled. See, we're more worried about enjoying what this world has to offer, getting ahead in our careers, planning our next vacation because, oh man, we're really tired from all the work we're doing, working so hard to advance our careers. Or sometimes, oftentimes, just amusing and entertaining ourselves constantly through sports and shopping and just surfing the internet. We filled our lives with other things and we we belong to this world and its system. Apathy towards lost people is a sign that we have forgotten that we are aliens. It's often a sign that we really do want to belong to this world and wanting to belong keeps us from living as ambassadors. So how do we fight back against identity theft? Interesting, we we find answers in 2 Corinthians 5. If you look back a few verses to verse 11 and then verses 14 through 16, Paul writes, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. 
Now, verse 11, what Paul is saying is that we deal with the fear of people by growing in our fear of God. Paul says, because we fear God, that is the reason why we try to persuade men. And if you look back to verse 10, you'll see what this grows out of. In verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, Paul knows that one day he will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul knows when every single one of us must remember we too will stand before Christ's judgment seat. Every one of us. This God, this God who one day you will stand before as judge, Paul says, because of that, my aim, my goal is to please him. It's my only goal. Here's how I put this. <clears throat> Fearing God takes away the fear of anyone else. Do you understand that? Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Whoever has the fear of the Lord can rest satisfied. Why? Because you are free from fear of anything else in all the world. See, you don't need to fear people when you fear God. You don't even need to fear death. It just changes you. you. You begin to live with courage in this world. You're not afraid to share the gospel with the people around you. You're not afraid of awkwardness or rejection. What you're more afraid of is one day standing before Christ and having him say to you, what did you do with my gospel? And then you saying to him, I didn't do what you left me on earth to do. That is what you should fear. And in this, we also remember that the people we need to share the gospel with, they also one day will stand before Christ as a judge. That's why we try to persuade them. That's why you implore your friends, you implore your family, you implore the people you work with to believe on Christ. One day they will stand before Christ as judge. Fear of God leads us to seek to persuade them today. It leads us to live as ambassadors. Well, how do we break out of our apathy? Well, in verse 14, Paul says, Christ's love compels us. See, it's both fear and love. Christ's love, another translation, says controls us. One scholar renders this the love of Christ leaves me no other option. See, I'm controlled and I'm compelled by God's love. Put it this way, God's love overwhelms our apathy. See, Paul is convinced, this is verses 14 and 15, that one died for all. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you spend time ever just thinking, meditating on how great is the love of God? Uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves this whole sinful world. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God desires all people to come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about all the people you know, the friends, the family, co-workers. God loves them all. And then narrow it down and think about this. Think how much God loves you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. God loves me. Do you ever stop to just let the wonder of that wash over you? The God of the universe, the God around whom uncountable thousands of angels are bowing down right now at this moment, never ceasing day and night to cry out and sing, holy, holy, holy. 
The God who spoke creation into existence with a word, who called the stars by name, the God who spoke a word, and there were oceans and there were mountains, who spoke a word and all the animals came to life. This is the God who loves us, this God who is right now in this moment, every second, sustaining the breath and life of seven billion people around the world. And then on top of that, animals and plants, everything, the weather, every single detail, that God, that God loves you. And when you get this, I mean, really get it, It just takes hold of you. It takes control of you. You know, this just goes against the self-esteem culture we live in. We we think love is about building us up. You know, love means we think more about ourselves. But if you read Paul, you'll see that God's love always causes Paul to think less about himself and more about living for Christ and living for others. That's what it says right here. May the love of Christ compel us and control us and overwhelm our apathy. This is what Paul's talking about in verse 16 when he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we're not worried about who has power or influence over us, their status with other people, or what they might do to us. All that matters for us is one thing, whether or not they know Christ See, this is just the plan that God has put in place from the beginning. God saved a people for himself, and God called those people to go out into the world with his message of reconciliation so that others can be saved. It is who we are, and as aliens and strangers in this world, we are his ambassadors. It reminds me of another old story. Maybe you've heard it. Some people say that the great scholar of the Renaissance, Erasmus, was the one who originated. I don't know about that. But the story goes like this. It's this kind of mythical tale that one day after Jesus finished his time on earth, he had returned to heaven and the angels just gathered around him to hear what had happened. And Jesus told them all about his birth and about his life, about his miracles, his teaching. He told told them about his death and his resurrection. And when he finished... Michael the archangel asked him, by the way, that is an awesome name for an archangel, I think, Michael. (laughs) Michael asked, but Lord, what happens now? And Jesus answered and said, I have left behind a group of faithful men and women who who are going to declare my message. They're going to express my love. These faithful men and women will establish and build my church. Michael said, but Lord, what if they fail?" What then? And Jesus answered him, the story goes, I have no other plan. Which means we're it. See, don't ever forget who you are. Don't give up your identity as Christ's ambassador to fear or apathy. Instead, You need to enter into training. That's what we've been seeing each week. There's training in our identity. And a third way we can live God's wonderful light. Uh, Today, it says we live as ambassadors when we share God's message as he gives us opportunity. So we enter into this lifestyle of looking for opportunity to share the message of reconciliation, looking to live day after day as an ambassador. And the New Testament is just full of instructions. It's full of examples on how we can live as ambassadors. Uh, One of the best passages, I think, for developing this lifestyle as an ambassador is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Paul here really is modeling an ambassador's lifestyle. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I think you probably noticed the key word in this paragraph is pray. And that's the first thing we need to do as we live in this lifestyle. We need to pray. Paul says we pray for opportunities. That's open doors. 
He says we pray for God's help to proclaim the message of Christ clearly. We, we pray for wisdom to interact wisely with people and just make the most of every opportunity. We pray that we will speak with grace, seasoned with salt, and do some of us need help in this area? Amen? Amen. We pray that we will know how to answer everyone. We pray. Prayer is part of the training where we, we, we find the opportunities that God has for us. How many of you have experienced in your life that you usually notice the opportunities God gives you after they're past? Does anybody else have that problem? I have that problem. See, part of growing as an ambassador is that we pray for God to open doors. And as we pray, we become more alert to those doors when they open. And when they open, then we can walk through them. Another thing we see is in the New Testament is that we also act, and I'm going to put it this way, act naturally. We have to take action, but we act naturally. We share the message as God gives us opportunities, and as we do this, most of the time we'll see that this will happen in the normal course of our daily lives. We're alert to opportunities, open doors as we live our lives, and we go through them. You see, a lot of times I think we tend to make this more complicated than it really needs to be. I'll give you one example from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to read you John 1, verses 35 to 46, and this is not going to be on the screen, so just listen to what happens here. John writes, verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, do you see what is happening there? John points Andrew to Jesus, and then Andrew invites Simon Peter, and then Philip invites Nathaniel, and it just goes on and on and on. See, what Jesus was calling us to do as his ambassadors is really fundamentally very simple. We just need to share what he's doing, what he's done in our lives. And we need to do it in the most natural way possible. Uh, one scholar who, who studied and wrote extensively on the evangelism of the early church said that the church grew as those early Christians just naturally shared their faith. He said they, they talked about Jesus like we were gossiping over the back fence. Now, we live in California, and we can't see over our back fence, and we don't really go there. So maybe you need to think about it in your front yard or out in the street in front of your house or something like that. But I think you, you, you get the point. Being an ambassador should just be the most natural thing in the world. You know, tomorrow, most of us are probably going to have someone say something like this to us. So how was your weekend? And you can respond. Maybe you can say, well, we went out Friday night, saw a movie. On Saturday, like I cut the grass and went to my kid's soccer game. But yesterday, Sunday, we went to church. We, we go to this church called Southwinds, and there's really great people there. And yesterday, we heard this message that was, well, well the music was good. And uh, my kids love it there. So, yeah, yeah, good weekend. I mean, nothing forced Nothing big, just the reality of who you are and how you live. And with that will come the opportunity. Maybe they will ask more. Or maybe 
you will have a chance to invite them to come and see, to come and hear. And it will be amazing, I think, as you begin to do that, how many times other people will ask questions that lead you along that path of sharing. You see, being an ambassador is just talking about Christ and talking about what is going on with the people who make up your spiritual family here at Southwinds. Again, like gossip over the backyard fence. When you're living as an ambassador, you will find yourself looking for things that are going on in your life or maybe in the life of the church that might be a natural way to connect with some people. For example, just in the next few weeks, we're going to have our annual harvest party where 2,000 people came last year. We're praying for 2,500 people. If you know someone who has kids, what a great opportunity to ask them to come. Maybe they don't have kids, but you know they really like candy. You can invite them too. Some of you women may want to connect with a woman. Well, in just under three weeks, there's going to be a women's ministry bonfire at someone's home, part of our church family, a casual time just to get to know other people. There's information about that in your program. You're going to be hearing more about it in the next couple of weeks. You can invite them to go. What a great way to make a connection. You see, being an ambassador is just talking about Jesus and what's going on in your life. See, the the reality is, and you know this is true, We naturally talk to people we know in a heartbeat about our lives. You know, if we see a good movie, it's easy to tell them we really like that movie. They ought to go see it too. Or maybe maybe you watched that playoff game this weekend and you, you really enjoyed it. Or maybe you just discovered a brand new restaurant and it's great and you just talk about it, right? Without even thinking about it. It's just natural. It's like you will naturally naturally talk about the fact that the A's lost in the playoffs once again, and it's now been almost 30 years since their last World Series title compared to the Giants who've actually won three World Series titles this decade. Just something to share, you know. God has called me to speak truth, friends. I mean, I just have to tell you. See, the point is, why not talk like that about what is the most important thing in your life? Why not? I was thinking yesterday about this weekend and all that's going on. I was thinking about how angry so many people are. I was thinking about the strife in our nation. I was thinking about the fact that people in our church, you know, uh, some of us are really angry at people on the other side from where we are on this particular issue. And we think those people are bad and we're, You know, some of us think they're evil, and we probably have forgotten that in this very room, there's people on the other side of that issue that are thinking the very same thing about you. And I was also thinking, as important as some of these issues are, they're not nearly as important as issues of eternity, the issues of an ambassador, the issues of God's message of reconciliation, why not focus there? Get this. Studies show, and there have been studies done for a long time that show this, that in general, at least half of the people you know, the people you work with, the people in your neighborhood, they say that they will come to church if someone asks them. That's what they say. And people have been saying that consistently for years. How many people might come and experience what God is doing here in your life if you just ask? See, never underestimate the power of being an ambassador because as we are praying and asking God to open doors, God will show up and God will honor every good effort we make to get the message out to people. Think about this. No one wants to see you make a difference with your life as an ambassador more than Jesus. He died for that message. No one wants to show up more to empower you when you are opening your mouth as an ambassador more than Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are. 
I read a story a few years ago about a middle school church camp and a little boy named Billy. And, you know, sometimes I think that uh, kids have their most cruel period of life when they're in middle school. Have you ever noticed that? Well, Billy had cerebral palsy. And his brain was unable to exercise proper control over the movements of his body, over his speech. And so the other kids just made fun of him. They, they called him spastic. As Billy would walk around the camp, they would line up behind him, imitating his handicapped walk, mimicking every movement, because they thought it was funny. On Wednesday at camp that week, Billy's cabin had been assigned devotions, and they had to choose somebody from their cabin who would stand up in front of 150 kids and speak. And of course, the boys in Billy's cabin voted unanimously for Billy. They knew he couldn't do it, but in their cruel sense of humor, they thought it would be kind of fun to see spastic Billy give it a try. Surprisingly, Billy agreed. That evening, he got up and he limped his way up to the podium. And as he did, the boys were all mocking, laughing, sneering. When he got up front, he began to speak. And it took him almost five tortured minutes to just say a handful of words. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. When he finished, there was just dead silence. Those boys who minutes before had been jeering, laughing, were weeping, trembling. And that night, God swept over that room and boy after boy gave his life to Jesus and his leadership. All because a disabled boy named Billy became an ambassador. Why are you here today? Do you know? I mean, why are you here in this room? Have you ever stopped to think about the journey that led you to be here at church at Southwinds this morning? Each of us has gotten here today through different means, but I think if you think about it, in every case, you will see that at bottom, it is because someone, somewhere, sometime cared for you. Think about where you would be without Christ. Think about how much that someone has mattered for you, for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren, like out into the future. Do you see the power of this? It, it is true for you, isn't it? I want to do a quick little informal survey among those of you who are here right now and you are right now Christ followers. I want you to raise your hand if a statement applies to you, okay? First, raise your hand if you were led to faith in Christ through an ad on TV or in a newspaper. We just raise your hand. It's possible. That's how some people have come to Christ, okay? Three services now. I've seen one hand raised in all three services for that. Now, raise your hand if you became a Christian through somebody like you didn't know coming and just cold call, knock on your door. That happens for some people, okay? We have a couple people in this service. This is actually the first time in this third service that someone's actually raised their hand on that one. Now, raise your hand if you became a Christian because a, a pastor came and, you know, like calling you professionally, presented the message of Christ. Is anybody here? Okay. Um, now, raise your hand if you came to Christ through a relationship with another Christian. 
either a friend or a relative or someone you work with. They told you about Jesus. They invited you to come to church. Would you raise your hand right now if that's you? I want you to hold your hands up, and I want you to look around at this room. See, this is how it's supposed to work. This is God's plan for us who are in Christ to live out our identity. We are aliens and ambassadors. Now, as we close, two things very quickly. First, I want to ask every Christ follower who is here to do something very concrete before you leave. I want to ask you, would you write down at least one name of someone that you will pray for and you will ask God to give you an open door with to share the message of reconciliation? Would you do that right now? Now, if you're already praying for someone, that counts. You can write that name down. But if you haven't started doing that with anyone, would you start today? Would you pray for an opportunity to act and pray for an opportunity to tell? And let me just say this. If you're here and you're saying, I don't know anybody, I can't think of anybody. Here's what I want to tell you you need to do. You need to go home and you need to fall on your knees and you need to repent because God has called you. If you are in Christ, he has called you to be an ambassador. And all of us have a role here. All of us should be part of this. We should be living out of this, our identity, who we are. First, that's first. Second, I would be remiss if I did not call anyone who is here who does not know Christ, who has not yet received his offer of forgiveness and grace and mercy, his gift of eternal life, if I did not call on you, if I did not implore you to be reconciled to God, to turn to Jesus in repentance from your sins and in trust in what he has done for you on the cross, would you do that even now, even today? As you've had your Bible open to 2 Corinthians 5, maybe you, your eye drifted down and maybe you notice what comes right after the fifth chapter, the first couple verses of chapter six. This is what Paul writes. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day salvation. You can turn from your sin and turn to Jesus today. Now, you can't.